Well, it's good to see you this morning. I hope you're having a great day. Appreciate you being here. And I appreciate you praying for the team from Thailand. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, they should be touching down in Detroit here before too long. And I uh, appreciate you keeping them in your prayers. Today, we're continuing in Ephesians. And you may remember Pastor Kevin talking about how Ephesians sort of follows the typical pattern of a letter that Paul would write. And that the first portion of it has to do with doctrine. And the second portion has to do with application. And so Ephesians breaks out perfectly. First half, first three chapters having to do with doctrine. Second three chapters having to do with application. And, and both those portions are important. See, if we started talking about how we're supposed to live without having the foundation of who we are in Christ and what he has done for us, then how we're supposed to live loses its meaning. And it could become just hollow attempts at us trying to do our best at what's right. And if all we had were the first chapters about what's done for us and, and we weren't told how to live, that also would lose its meaning because we're never given truth without the intention of it changing our lives. See, who we are and what's been done for us has to impact how we live. That's what our faith does. It not only informs us, it changes us. So today we're at the transition point in the letter. We move from the doctrinal side of things to the application, and we see that transition in the very first word of chapter 4. Therefore, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Therefore, in light of those first few chapters in light of how good we have it as believers, knowing that he chose us because he loves us, knowing that he sealed us, guaranteeing our inheritance, knowing that he blessed us with every spiritual blessing, knowing that we are dead spiritually and yet he saved us by his grace and grace alone, that he brought us near and reconciled us to himself and to each other, knowing that we are now fellow heirs. Knowing all of that and more, in light of all that's been done for us, Paul now says, and I love the fact that he calls himself the prisoner of the Lord, you know, because he's, we know he's a prisoner actually of Rome, but that's not the way Paul's looking at his circumstances. No, he knows where he is and he knows what's going on. He knows it's not because of Rome. He knows it's because of Jesus. He knows exactly who's in control here. I think there's a lesson there for us, probably. And he says, I implore you. What he's about to say is so important that he's begging. I mean, he's literally down on his knees pleading with us. And here it is. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What? Walk in a manner worthy of calling. You know, every once in a while, you come across a command in Scripture that just sort of blows you away. Like when we're told, be holy, for I am holy. I mean, sort of mind-blowing, right? How are you doing on that one? What about when Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself? How's that going for you? Here's another command that knocks you off your feet. Walk worthy of the calling. How in the world 
Are we supposed to walk worthy of our, our calling? Again, we've seen in these few weeks how good our calling can be. How are we ever supposed to walk, live our lives in a way that's worthy of that? I think if we just stopped right here, if we just stopped and, okay, we know we've got this command, what do you think Paul's going to say next? How do we walk worthy? And if we didn't have the rest of the text, we just started thinking about it, we'd probably come up with a pretty long list of things, things we think he might say. And I think for the most part, we'd probably get the answer wrong. If we're just guessing, what's going to, what is he going to say? How do we walk worthy? It might surprise us that what he talks about in the next verses is how we, in the church, get along. The unity that we're supposed to share as individuals and as a church. A unity that should mark us. Remember when Jesus said, by this all men will know you're my disciples, if you have love for one another... The fact is, we walk worthy when we walk in unity. And it's so good that we can t have that type of relationship with each other because it's honoring to God and the world needs to see it. I mean, there's so much turmoil and division in our world, in our culture, in our homes. It's good that we can talk about having unity in the church, specifically as we think about our church here at Grace we're so thankful for the unity that we've been able to enjoy over the years. I mean, if you've been around here for a little while, you know what it's like, right? Think about some of the major decisions and events in our church history. I mean, just in the last 20 years, think about when we decided to build this building that we're sitting in right now. That's a big step, right? And the unity that we had as a church and moving forward and then building the quad and then building the student center and then making the decision to expand to other campuses, moving forward together. And, and, and not only those huge major issues, but also think just this past year, we voted on our budget. We vote on our budget every year. You know, in our budget this past year, all three campuses we voted and it was a unanimous vote when does that happen, that a church votes on their budget and it's unanimous? If you've been around churches very long, you know that's unusual. And I can't tell you how, how many new members I talk with that are coming into fellowship with our church that say when they walk in the building, they tell me, I've just had some people tell me this this week, what I noticed first was how welcoming everyone was and how happy everyone seemed to be to be here. That's just great. That's God working. And it's not just that we're good people. <laughs> it's not just that everything's going good for us and so we're all just floating around in some clouds. We're... God has worked in our church to bring that about. I have sometimes people ask, and I know other, the other pastors too, they ask the question, as they're getting ready to move away, maybe to go to another state, 
can you help me find a church like Grace? So I, I, as I start looking, there's certain things I'm looking for. I get online and I start looking and say, okay, is this church I'm looking at, do they hold to the truth? That's the first, that's where we got to start, right? They're uncompromising on truth. That we talk about that more in just a few minutes, but holding to the truth. And then they have a purpose, not only of growing Christians, but also reaching the lost. And you know, a lot of churches, they have that, that desire, they want to do both, but so many times they don't have a real developed and effective way of getting it done. So not only am I looking for churches that have the, the, the desire, but also have the design to make that happen. And then unity, which is sort of hard to determine from a website. But does this church appear to be unified? Because you can have the other things down, you can have the, be committed to the truth, and, and you can have a purpose in mind and, and design for it, but if you're not unified, that disunity can destroy a church. And what we can gratefully say here at Grace is that God has protected us in this area. So thankful for that. But it's never something that we should take for granted. Church unity is always fragile. So let's take a look at what he says here. And it gets really direct and really practical. And the first thing we're going to notice is there's a challenge to unity. And it's a big challenge. But some struggles are worth fighting for, aren't they? I just finished reading a book on the story of the 504th Parachute Infantry Regiment in the Battle of the Bulge. Their story. And I got to tell you, it's a you know, decent-sized book, probably 220 pages or so. And start reading it, and and first I'm just I'm blown away by some of the stories, some you know, stories of individuals and and the sacrifice they made, and 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 I'm into reading this because these stories are just amazing, but then after a while I'm reading page after page, story after story of this of guys giving up their lives, and it, it became like one of the hardest books I've ever read. I just couldn't hardly get through it. Because I'm, I'm thinking, as, as draining as this is to listen to these stories after a while, think about being there, actually, and being a part of that and watching that happen. It just blows me away. One guy, one guy was in a foxhole with his buddies, and there's a machine gun firing directly at them, and he decides he's got to take out that machine gun, so he gets up out of the foxhole he's already been completely damaged on one side his leg his arm on his right side neither of them are operating he's dragging himself up to this to this machine gun nest he's going to take a grenade and throw it in there he gets up to the nest he realizes he can't pull the pin on the grenade because his right side's not working so he drags himself back to his buddies in the foxhole, has one of them pull the pin so he can drag himself back up to that machine gun again and toss it in and get rid of those guys. And that guy survived. Story after story like that of men who stood up in the face of fire and gave their lives for us. Some Fights are worth fighting, aren't they? 
and for the church to be unified. It is a fight worth fighting. Paul says here, We are to walk worthy, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is how we walk worthy. And that may, all, may sound nice and cozy, you know, being humble and gentle. It's anything but. Last week, Luke was talking about the fact that we've been reconciled to each other and the walls have come down. And that's true. It's great. God has blessed us. God did that for us as believers. It's so good. And, and Luke used that illustration of a, of a salad, you know, the croutons, the onions, the cheese, the tomatoes. It's all good. We're all in the salad bowl. But what happens when the crouton says to the onions, you know, you come across a little too strong sometimes. <laughs> that offends me. And the onion's like, yeah, well, you're a little crusty. <laughs> and the tomatoes look at the cheese thinking, he leaves a bad taste in my mouth. That's what actually happens in so many relationships. Those types of issues happen all the time between people. A few weeks ago, uh, we went on a trip. Uh, Becky and I did. We, took, uh, we went with our oldest daughter, Christy, and her kids. The, her husband stayed here and worked. And we went down to North Carolina to see our, another one of our daughters, Carrie, and her family. And so we've got, we had Aaron and Alex, our two oldest grandsons, in the back seat of a van. Aaron's five. Alex is about to turn four. And we're driving down the road, and I'm papa to them. And sometimes, though, they call me Pops. <laughs> and so, all of a sudden, I hear from the back seat, hey, Pops, you're stinky cheese. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what? Where did that come from? You're stinky cheese. And I'm thinking, these typical boys, you know? And, and so, I'm the mature adult. And so I yell back, oh, yeah, you're stinkier, cheese. And they're like, from, and that, that one comment, me responding to them, that set us off for the entire trip. Because <laughs> the rest of the trip, down and back, we're trying to raise the level of how we can offend each other by raising the stinkiness of each other. I got to tell you, I see, as goofy as that sounds, I see that all the time. Where people are disagreeing on something and, some, and, 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 and the, the first person says something or does something and the second person is going to respond by raising the level. You know, because we don't want to lose we want to win. It's not that we're even trying to get even. We want to win. We want leverage. And so we're going to raise the level. And that happens all the time. It happens in families. It happens in marriages. It happens in the church. 
It goes back and forth like that. What do you do with that? That's sort of the picture Paul draws here for us. And we realize what Paul is saying here, it isn't easy. He, it, takes us, it takes something to, to walk worthy, to live this out. And what scares me is that we'll listen to this this morning, and most of us will agree with it, and we'll feel very comfortable with it. But the next time we think somebody's done us wrong, we'll do the exact opposite of what we're agreeing with this morning. Everything in us is is going to want to do the opposite. It's our natural response. That's why it's so tough. I'm telling you, if we're comfortable listening to this, we're probably not getting it. Because this is challenging. It's not meant to be easy. We're told here to walk worthy with humility and gentleness. Humility. So we've got to have a right view of ourselves. We can't be overly impressed with our own self-importance. So easy to get wrapped up in that, isn't it? And gentleness, let's talk about being polite, especially when it takes effort to be polite. In other words, when others aren't being polite to us, and because they aren't being polite, we feel like we've got a legitimate reason to not be polite back. From every human standpoint, we may have some legitimacy. But what the Bible is telling us here is in, here in our family, we don't take advantage of our legitimate gripes. That's challenging. Instead, we let it go because we want to walk worthy of our calling. That's what's required of us. We're also told to walk with patience. That's talking about holding up when we're being provoked. When somebody goes from simply being impolite to jabbing at you. That's when a lot of people want to get on Facebook, you know, and let everybody else know what somebody did to them. You know what a person walking worthy does? They take it. It's not easy. And we know the Bible gives us some direction on how we can, we, we can handle situations where there's a problem between us and somebody else. We're not going to take the time to look at them, but you can go look yourself, Matthew 5, Matthew 18. There's ways you can handle those things. But what a person walking worthy doesn't do is they don't take it out on the other person. They're patient. To walk worthy also means showing tolerance. Paul says here, tolerance for one another, showing tolerance for one another in love. We're talking about putting up with someone. It's annoying. And that's reality, you know. People can be annoying. Sometimes, somehow, you may actually be annoyed by me. It's hard to imagine, but I can be annoying. What are we supposed to do with that? We're supposed to tolerate each other. Not in the typical way of tolerating someone. You know, we're, when we, usually when we think about that, we're sort of just resenting that person. We're putting up with it, but we're resenting it. We're told here to tolerate, to act in tolerance, show tolerance in love. It's hard enough to tolerate someone. It's even harder to do it in love. But if we're going to walk worthy, it's what's required. 
And then we're given the goal of these phrases that we've just looked at. And here's the goal, verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's what we're talking about, being diligent, preserving the unity. If we're walking worthy, it's all about preserving the unity. That's what we'll do. We'll be diligent because it's going to take effort to do it. We're talking about a lot of effort. That's the challenge to unity. Not just as individuals, but in churches as well. You know, probably a good number of us have been in what we would otherwise say are Bible-believing churches at some time in our lives. But in those same churches, there was always what seemed to be a lot of drama going on and disunity. You ever been there? For some reason, you know, everybody's picking up sides. Supposedly Bible-believing churches that that's happening in, it's ugly. It's not good. And that can happen anywhere. That's why we here, great, we've got to be diligent to preserve the unity. So on one level, God's people already possess unity. We're all in the salad bowl. He tore down the walls between us. But on another level, we've got to be careful to make sure that that unity is kept. That's how the scriptures are telling us to walk worthy. Be willing to pay the price, to take it on the chin sometimes, diligently preserving the unity of the spirit. And that all only makes sense in light of what the passage says next. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Why is he stressing the one? Because it makes sense that we'd be unified. Because if there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, unity is what we're all about. It only makes sense that we'd be diligent to keep it. So walk worthy. And if we're meeting that challenge and we've got the right attitude towards each other, you know, we're humble, we're gentle, we're patient, we're tolerant, and we're diligent in it, then that's going to show up. It's going to bring some results in several areas. And that's what we're going to look at here next. It's going to result, first of all, in serving in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. He's talking about the gifts each of us was given to be used in the church for the good of the kingdom. If you're a believer, you were given, have been given a gift or gifts. We're talking about spiritual gifts here that are to be used for the good of the church body. And when we talk about spiritual gifts, we're not talking about natural abilities. You know, that you may be good at certain things. You may be good at baking or building or music. Those are all natural abilities that can be used actually to help in God's family. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about abilities given to us by God to be used for the benefit of each other. And the Bible tells us what those spiritual gifts are. It lists things like serving and teaching and giving and the list goes on and on. Other passages in Scripture give more detail. We're not going to look at those this morning. But I, I want to encourage you, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, if you're not using it, that you, you find out what that is. And one way you can do that is go to our serve class. It's coming up March 23rd. You can sign up for that. Be a, that's one of the things they'll cover in that, in that class is your, what your spiritual gifts are. And so 
encourage you to be a part of that. We've been given different abilities. They're all for the same purpose, for the good of others, all to be used in God's kingdom. And Paul shows us that that very truth in the, the following verses, verses that are sort of complicated and people understand them differently. Let's just read them here. Verse eight. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also. He who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Wow, what is that about and why is that here? I'm not going to go over all the opinions People have different options that people have here. I'm just going to tell you what I think they believe, what, they, what they're teaching and why they're here. It's important. Here's a picture of Jesus returning from battle on earth, going back to heaven with the spoils. He led captive, it says here, a, a host of captives. And, and who were the captives? Well, people who once were prisoners of the enemy, he led captive, a host of captives. They were already captives. They were prisoners of the enemy. They've been brought into his kingdom. That would include everyone who's saved. They now belong to him. They're now part of his rule over all the earth. And to these people that he's led away in victory, he gives gifts. As the conqueror, he distributes the spoils out to his kingdom. That's the picture of the gifts given to us. And he had the right to do that because he had won. He descended into the lower parts of the earth. I think that's pointing to the incarnation and ultimately his death. And he ascended, went back to heaven so that he could fill all things. It's talking about his rule over all things. So as the conqueror, he's distributed gifts to each of us for the good of his kingdom. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's, that's exciting. That's encouraging. He's gifted us to do what he wants us to do. So we're not inadequate. We are not, we're not missing something. We have all the supply we need. If we're walking worthy, we'll find a way to serve because we have a heart for people. And we'll impact the kingdom for good. That's just what we do. If we're walking worthy, it will also result in growth. Verse 11 says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ." So in his rule, as the ruling victor and his care for his people, he gave gifts. He gave gifts to the church. These gifts aren't the spiritual gifts that we just talked about. These are people that he's given to the church. Apostles and prophets, those guys were foundational to the beginning of the church. And evangelists who preached the gospel and pastors and teachers, those two terms are linked together in the Greek Their role as pastor and teacher is to care for the congregation and to give them what they need to grow. And why were these people given to the church? For the equipping of the saints. A a saint in scripture is just anyone who's trusted in Christ. So these guys were given to the church to equip all of us for the work of service, to give us what we need to do the ministry. 
to the building up of the body of Christ. I mean, there's incredible momentum here, right? These gifts are given, these, these individuals, to equip us, and then the church is built up until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So now we're actually living our unity out together in our growth. See, Christian growth doesn't happen in isolation. It happens because we're all en route to our destination, which is maturity. And that maturity is linked to our knowing him. We are measured by the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's how we measure our growth. Remember when your mom used to put you up against the wall? You know, make the mark with a pencil? And, 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 you, and you come back a few months later and she puts you up against the wall again and she measures you again, but you marked it with a pencil and then you look, turn around and look and see how, how much you'd grown in that time period. That's how we are measured then physically. How we are measured now as believers is we stand and we stand next to Jesus. Our stature is measured according to him. And as we grow, we mature and we get more and more like him. If we're walking worthy, it will result in us maturing into looking more like him. It results in service, it results in growth, and it will result in us being committed to truth. Verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. See, we not only grow out of immaturity, we also grow out of instability. We're, we're no longer children immature, and we're no longer like a small boat in a, in a storm, unstable, tossed about by every wind of doctrine. Every wind of, we're talking about every teaching that deviates from the truth of Scripture, that takes Scripture and twists it for whatever purposes. When we're walking worthy. We're committed to the truth that keeps us from being blown away from it. It keeps us from falling for every person that gets on TV or up in front of a church and quotes scripture and sounds good and sounds appealing, but whose teaching deviates from the truth of scripture. That doesn't mean we all necessarily agree on every single issue, but what it does mean is that as a church and as individuals, there are issues that we will not compromise on. Truths like the deity of Christ, not up for debate. The inerrancy of Scripture. We believe the Scriptures are true and accurate in every detail. Salvation by grace alone, completely apart from any works that we could do. That's not up for debate. If you mess these things up, you mess up everything. Those issues and others like them, there's no give on those. And we continue to call what the Bible calls sin, sin. We have to call it sin. We don't get to alter it to fit our culture or to fit our personal desires. You know, have you noticed Everywhere you go anymore, you have to take a survey. You know, 
and you go to a doctor's office, what do you get? You get a certain, the next day in your email, here's a survey, why don't you tell us what your experience was like? You go to a motel, you get a survey. You get on an airplane, you get a survey. You go to a restaurant, you get a survey. Everything, everybody wants to get your opinion on things. We don't get to survey the truth of Scripture. It is what it is. And when the Bible says something is sin, it doesn't matter what the majority thinks. It matters what the Scriptures say. So we tell the truth. We speak the truth in love, even if it hurts. Out of love for others, we continue to teach the truth in order to draw men to Christ. Walking worthy results in a commitment to truth. There's no doubt there's an incredible challenge to us to walking worthy. It's not easy to walk humbly and gently and patiently tolerating love. But the cost for that battle is worth it. Paul is begging us, walk worthy of the calling. How are you doing with that? With all that God's done for us in saving us and bringing us into relationship with him, how are you doing with walking worthy of that calling? We're called to live in a way that produces and guards unity with each other. Let's make sure we're putting in the effort, being diligent to make sure that that's getting done. For some of us, that may mean we need to get some things right with somebody else, maybe in this room. It may be some family member, it may be some relatives that we've got to get, you know, it may mean that we need to go to someone and ask for forgiveness. It may mean we need to go to someone and give forgiveness. There'll be a cost to that, but it will be worth the cost. Don't put it off. Don't neglect it. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Aren't you glad that God took us as isolated individuals and brought us together to be part of his kingdom? He's blessed us so. Let's make sure we get done what he's asked us to do. Preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Would you stand with me and we'll pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for your love and your grace, for taking individuals, flawed individuals, weak individuals, and bringing us into your kingdom, empowering us to do what you've called us to do, giving us the opportunity to serve you. And Father, this is an area that can be so damaging, damaging in our own lives, damaging to a church. God, we thank you for blessing us with so much unity here, but God, we want to be careful with it. We don't want to take advantage of that situation. We need to be careful that we're guarding that and preserving it. So Father, help us to do what's right. If it's, if it's an individual we need to make things right with, if, whatever it is, Father, we, that we'd follow through and we'd honor you with the way we're living. God, bless our day and our week ahead as we seek to serve you. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.